Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Kenem. Joining me in studio this week, as always, is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, to you Star Wars fans, happy anniversary for The Force Awakens. Happy birthday, Jar Jar. Ah, oh, you really had to open the show like that. Uh-huh. You really had to go there with Jar Jar. Uh-huh. Listen, for for the knocks the Phantom Menace gets, and some of them are deserved, some of them are not, in my opinion, it did give us one of the coolest fight scenes in movie history. I will I will say that. Yeah, but also gave you the reason why the Jedi will always be you know underdogs to the dark side That's and true. the force because I'm sorry, if you can't see why they put Jar Jar in place and made the biggest political decision in all the galaxy and ruined the force forever. I all right, sorry. I'm getting I'll, I'll I, say we could go for like an hour and a half on I'm this. I'm getting too wound up cuz I'm already ready to go on the opening segment. So, uh-huh. hit us up on that hashtag hashtag #odph because last night, as we were going to be talking about the mm-hmm. stories of entertainment, there is none bigger going on and more polarizing on social media than the ending of Game of Thrones. The series mm-hmm. is a wrap yep. in its incarnation. Yep. You know we talk spoilers. You know Pat is going to put the show notes. Uh, when where, does, where, where to skip for if you don't really care about Game of Thrones. Yeah, because some of us don't. And some of us do. So we're, Which is understandable. We're making this open to everybody, but we are going to be talking spoilers in 3, 2, 1... Last night was the final episode, the mm-hmm. end-all, be-all mm-hmm. of the story of Westeros, the song of let's, Fire and Ice. Say, leave it all on the field because you ain't going to have no more stories to tell. And that they did, and then they didn't. So we are going to get into it because between Pat and myself, we have very polarizing opinions of last night's episode. So, Pat, why don't you start us off? Let us know what you thought of the episode. I thought it was an all right finale. It wasn't the best I've ever seen. I, I didn't feel the closure I felt with, say, the finale of Breaking Bad, where I, you know, breaking. if you go through the entire up, uh, series of Breaking Bad and you get to the finale, you know, I, you get to the end of it. It leaves it, you know, kind of wraps a bow in it. It's all nice. It's all packaged. You know, I didn't get that feeling. But at the same time, I'm not in the camp of like, I hate everything about it. Now, by no means was it perfect. It wasn't, you know, a triple A, a plus, you know, episode. It wasn't their best of all time, but I'm okay with it. So my take is this. I thought it was very underwhelming. I thought that there was a lot left on the table that they should have done differently because in all honesty, after the major death of Daenerys, and we will get into that, it seemed like they didn't have enough strong material to finish it out, in my opinion, and they just basically hit the reset button, so it, it all came full circle for all the characters to a degree. See, I, ch- I just, and this isn't me making excuses, I still chalk that up, because even I'll admit it, well, there was a little jumpy, it was a little, you know, it didn't feel as smooth as it could have been for me. I still chalk that up to... You know, George R. R. Martin, who's in the process of writing the books, and please, dear God, keep writing on them and get them out. The last one came out in 2011. Um, told them the ending, but it's it's like telling the end of like the original trilogy in Star Wars. If you're adapting, like if, if Star Wars, the original trilogy in Star Wars was a book series and somebody was adapting it for television and, you know, George Lucas hadn't finished the final book in the original trilogy and, and the TV series had passed him by now. And he goes, oh, Palpatine's defeated. The Empire's defeated. 
and that's all he told them, but not how to get there, not anything. I think through the majority of this episode, they were still kind of working off of what they they thought would work and get to the end. Whereas, you know, not until the final, like where people ended up was what Martin had told them. But everything leading up to that, in my opinion, was still kind of all right. Figure it out yourselves. Maybe. And, and that's fair. And like I said, with this, it wasn't a situation where. I'm saying this is as bad as the Dexter finale because, in right. my opinion, that's arguably one of the worst. Right. Arguably one of the that, worst. I've seen that one tossed around. The How I Met Your Mother series finale has been tossed out as worse. Lost has been brought up. Yeah, there has been a lot that they can bring up and they can definitely mention of where the show ranks in a part of season finales. Mm-hmm. Breaking Bad, to me, was damn near perfect. Right. So anything that has had the quality the Game of Thrones has has a lot to live up to. Right. So when this episode happened and we're coming off the last great war, the destruction of King's Landing, the heel turn of Daenerys, who's mm-hmm. now become the Mad Queen, mm-hmm. the stakes are high. There's yeah. a lot going on. Well, so you can cut the tension with a knife. Absolutely. And as you go right into the episode, you're dealing with the aftermath that is what's left of King's Landing and Jon Snow and company walking through uh, Tyrone. Yeah, Tyrion. And yeah, you got Tyrion, Jon, and everybody else who, like, survived Daenerys' onslaught, you know, just kind of walking through the, the what remains from King's Landing with horrified looks on their faces. And let's be honest, between Jon and Tyrion alone, they've seen some stuff. Right. And at this stage, they're just soaking in what has happened like the the carnage that was left last episode by Daenerys and her dragon is still being absorbed in right and you and you can tell they're not okay with it because there's a point later in the episode I can't remember if it was John or Tyrion it was one of the two of them you know where Daenerys is like oh well I had to do it because Cersei wouldn't give up she tried to use the people as a as a weapon against me and there and whoever said it was like you burned children. Yeah, John came right out and said it because John was trying to confront him because at this point, Grey Worm and the Unsullied are sitting there and ready to execute unarmed prisoners, unarmed Lannister soldiers. Right. And they're basically saying, Daenerys said, you know, kill anybody who opposes me. Right. Yeah. Kill anybody who opposes me. And, and Grey Worm's making the argument, oh, well, they have to be killed. They chose to fight for Lannisters. Did they? You know, it's almost the age old question. You know, should you hold against them something against them based on like they fought for them because, OK, they were born in Casterly Rock. So, OK, you grow up fighting where you grew up in it's a different ideology because of game of thrones i mean that's kind of how yeah, it happens yeah. so i understand that to the degree and gray gray worm did what he had to do so john snow is trying to go confront denarius who's addressing her army and arguably has the best shot cinematically yes. with the dragon behind her as she's walking to address her armies also very metaphoric in a way you know i didn't realize this until i watched the gif of it that's floating around online a couple of times also very metaphoric in the sense that, like, you know, it was obviously the, you know, Drogon behind her flapping his wings. I also got, like, a demonic sense about it when if you look, just look at the wings, like something almost devilish. Right. And at this point, you know that she has turned from being the hero of the story until that moment where she just goes off the hinges mm-hmm. and is trying to justify to her army what she did. Yeah. And at this point... Uh, Tyrion comes up he throws down the pin for the hand of the king and basically just he she's like you you freed your brother and he's like you kill children right no yeah and that's the thing is you know Daenerys is addressing her forces let's be honest she's pandering she's speaking to a group of people who she could say random nonsense 
you know, pumpkin and orange apple and they would cheer. Right. Like, you know, it's not like she's in front of what remains of King's Landing, the common folk, the normal average everyday people who aren't involved with the politics, aren't involved with the war. They're just trying to live their lives and they just had entire families slaughtered. You know, it'd be one thing if she's trying to convince them. No, she's in front of her own forces who are, you know, the down since day ones, you know, and we're we'll cheer anything she says. Yeah, so they're obviously standing by her 100%. And I'm going to get to this point a little later, too. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Tyrion is arrested for treason. Jon Snow confronts Daenerys, and it's a very awkward conversation. Yeah, it's a very awkward conversation in which she goes, oh, listen, we can't stop here. we got to liberate everyone, and i got to rule them all. Yeah, at this point, she's fully snapped. Oh, yeah. She, she, she's I, off the deep end. Yeah, I was getting a little, like, vibe or sense of, like, if you think back to Revenge of the Sith when Anakin's talking to Padme at the end and he's got that mad look in his eye, that crazed look in his eye where he's like, I, I can take over the government. I can do all this. I was getting the same sort of vibe, just how she was looking at John. Right, because at this stage, she has fully bought into her own hype. Yeah. She is yeah. fully in that she is going to be the one to free the kingdoms and it's her way or no way. And at this stage, John really doesn't know what to do. Yeah, he's he's very conflicted because he see he's seen what she's done. He he's like, I don't think she knows what she's done because she was flying around, and he tries explaining that to her. But at the same time, he still loves her. Right. And at this point, he does see Tyrion in prison, mm-hmm. and it, they have a very unique conversation where yeah. Tyrion is just really talking some sense into him or trying to, and he knows his fate. He saw what happened to his brother and sister there with Jamie and Cersei being uncovered under the rocks. Mm-hmm. He's going through an emotional episode. He had a great episode, too, by I, the way. I, I will say this. Uh, a lot of people said this online, and I agree. Dinglage is probably going to get another award for this. He should. He should for this season. I'm not going to question yeah. that. I, I I have no argument with that. But as he's trying to talk sense into John, you can see how conflicted John is becoming, and then he has a private meeting with Daenerys. Then they're talking about you know what should be going on in the world. They have this close embrace, and then all of a sudden, the the moment of the episode, in my opinion, yeah, John kills her. Right, you hear metal unsheathing, stabbing, whatever it is, but you don't see who did it. And it's you and I both sat up and we're like, oh crap, who did it? Who stabbed who? And then you know they both kind of lurch. And then Daenerys falls backwards with blood coming from her mouth. Yeah, at this point, this is when things are starting. I I thought was going to pick up, and I'm like, okay, John did what he had to do, being the noblest hero that's in Westeros. He's doing what he has to do. Mm-hmm. At this point, the dragon shows up. He's the mother of dragons dead. Yeah, you assume he's going to light John on fire, right? But he wouldn't die from that because he's Targaryen, right? And I don't know how you know Dragon figured that out. But he did, and he decides to light the Iron Throne on fire where they're having the conversation, which I'm still puzzled how that survived the attack on King's Landing. Yeah, I'll give you that. That was a little, you know, yeah. a little Hollywood magic there, yeah. but okay, it is what it is. Anyway, the dragon lights up the chair. So very symbolic that there is no king, there is no queen, mm-hmm. there is nobody at this point. We'll say if she can't have it, nobody can. Right. And then dragon flies off and does his own thing, never to be heard from again. Mm-hmm. That, well, yeah. That we know of. Yeah. So then it gets to the point where they do a time jump, or so it, so it appears. I'd say at least a week or so. Right. That that, there, is, there is a time jump, because if you go back and watch the episode, uh, specifically John and Tyrion's beards do get a little bigger. Right. At this point, they're both captured. Right. So I guess this is where I kind of start having some questions. One, okay, you just killed Daenerys with her army of loyal soldiers mm-hmm. in the background somewhere. 
So are you trying to tell me that they don't decide to take it upon themselves to take out John before they deliver him to what appears to be a council of the heads of different parts of the Game of Thrones world? I think it's a conflicting thing for them because they they do whatever she says. And to their knowledge at this point, they know she trusts John, that she they probably even know how she feels about him. They might not know specifics, but they can at least. All right. It, it's it doesn't take an idiot to know how she feels about him. We should be tread carefully with this. Now that the other token, why didn't he just kind of sit there and not say anything that because I've seen that thrown around. All right. That would only work for maybe about a day or so because her disappearance is only going to go for so long before people start asking questions. Well, that's the thing. It's like, how do they not? Go, John, what happened? And and what's he going to say? She was randomly attacked? And, yeah. I mean, is he going to make up a story? Like, we, yeah. we don't have this story. The only thing we know is he's captured. And I'm sitting there going, okay, how is he kept alive if he's captured by the army that literally at the, the go word from Daenerys was killing everybody in King's Landing? Yeah. How? That, I mean, so I'm sitting there going, okay, this doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to roll with it. And then we go to the council meeting. Mm-hmm. Where who do we have in, in tow? We have all the Starks. Are so it, it's everyone who's like a major head, if not the figurehead of the remaining houses. Right. And you have all of them. Bran is sitting there with his sisters. You you have the, the one remaining Greyjoy. Right. The, yeah, the one remaining Greyjoy. Yeah. And you have you know Samuel Tarley's there. Yep. And you have a, a bunch of different characters. And they're deciding the fate of Tyrion, mm-hmm. which was interesting on how Tyrion sold this. I mean, this is where Peter Dinklage just took... He takes this role and he makes something out of nothing because he's addressing of what they should do now since there is no king to make a ruling. And I do like that uh, Samuel was, well, maybe we should have a democracy and got laughed out of the, yeah. the the meeting. I mean, Sam's also been one that, like, he'll fight if he has to, but he really doesn't want to fight. Yeah, he wants no part of that. No way. And it, during this whole mess... Tyrion is explaining about, well, they should nominate someone to be king, that they right. don't need to have a, a, a born order to do it. And then who is it decided upon, Pad? Uh, Bran. Bran. The character that had a lot of hype going into this season, the connection with the Night King, which I still, and I will admit I was wrong. I thought there was going to be a connection that he would actually turn out to be the Night King. Mm-hmm. He didn't. But So now he is the quote-unquote ruler of the six kingdoms well so and i know there are a lot of people questioning this and i understand it to a certain degree but also the thing i think a lot of people need to learn or at least do some reading up on is a lot of this story is based off of the real life event the war of the roses which took place a long time ago it's a whole well this isn't a history podcast so i won't get into it but the long and the short of it is is there are a lot there's a lot drawn from the war of the roses in real history that is in game of thrones one of which is it's about families fighting each other for control of england and in the end it's this random no-name guy that comes out of nowhere to end up ruling england which hi yeah that's bran it does and it turns out to be bran and for and Tyrion sells him on the idea right which i mean kudos to him because there's he knows that he has no chance of surviving if they decide to turn him over to the Unsullied. Right. Which, yet again, I'm still surprised Grey Worm did just not say, you know what, the heck with this. I'm standing by my queen. You two are responsible for getting her killed and does what he needs to do. I am surprised that he was so calm about it. I think he, you know, he's calm about it, but I think at the same time he's also rational that, okay, it's one. we're one versus about six or seven houses and lands. 
they ain't going to win this fight. Right, but I still say for how loyal he was. I mean, even before she died, she named him the war commander. Right, he's loyal. He's not stupid. Right, but I still think he would have been, for his character, what else is he going to do now? And he's not going to be ahead of a, a lord of a, a province or any situation like that. He's still going to be running with his troops and doing what he wants to do to a degree. But at this stage, okay, Tyrion talks his way out of it. He gets Bran to be the king. And then what is Bran's ruling on Tyrion? Uh, he won't be killed. He's going to try to make up for the, I guess, sins of his past and try to right every wrong he committed. Yes, and he's now made Hand of the King to Bran. Cause you, and that, to me, made sense because you look at it. Tyrion was ready to just be done with all of it and just die. Yeah, he had nothing he, left he, going. He, I think at one point they mentioned trial by combat. Because I, rem- I, I remember hearing something about the mountain mentioned at one point or something like so something about somebody fighting for him. And he goes, no, like you could just like you've we've seen Tyrion in these spots before where it's his it's either death or you got to worm your way out of this. And he was ready to give up. He yeah. was ready to be done with everything. Well, he had nothing. His family was all dead. He had nothing to live for. The person that he was backing to be the savior of the seven kingdoms turned out to be a mad queen. He had nothing in. So now the fact that he wanted out and he's brought back in, I guess you could say it's fair punishment. I get it. Okay, I'm okay with that to a degree. But I'm like, all right. Then we get to John and the ruling about John. Mm -hmm. And what was John sentenced to? Uh, The wall. He got sentenced back to being the head commander of the Night Watch. Well, you know, I don't think he got sentenced to be the commander of the Night's Watch. He just got sentenced to go back to the Night's Watch and he showed up and it's like, oh, hey, well, who's better than you to lead it? Right. So, I mean, for me, I thought, in my unabashed opinion, I thought that John should have been killed instead of getting sent back. Mm-hmm. I thought it would have made more sense for the story if Grey Worm decided to do it, and then whatever was the ruling after, so be it. But it just kind of seemed like, all right, well, he's getting a pass because he doesn't want to be king. He doesn't no. want anything to do with this. No. So he's going to get banished. So he's essentially getting what he wanted. Well, because he's not, you think about it, he's never really fit in any place. You know, he he felt out of place when he was growing up in Winterfell, you know, and then he got banished to the, to the Night's Watch. And he fit in there to a large degree, but then they all stabbed him in the back and killed him. So then he gets up, then he gets revived by Melisandre and and comes back to life. And then there's a whole thing with he's had, a, he, you know, he's leading Winterfell when he really doesn't want to. He wants not that he'd never fit in any place. The only place he ever fit in and he ever seemed at home and comfortable was when he was north of the wall. And he even had that open offer from Tormund. Hey, listen, you want to come live with us? You want to come pal with us? Just come on. Right. And that made a lot of sense because Tormund became a friend to him after being, you know, considered an enemy for so long because, of, you know, the house is and all that jazz. So John essentially gets off scot-free, which I get to a degree because technically he stopped the Mad Queen and the new regime. I mean, he, he's off scot-free, but at the same token, you know, I kind of think back to other media and TV movies and stuff like this where you have something similar to this happen. Not exactly a replica, but... Okay, yes, John's off scot-free, but you have to imagine that there are people still in Westeros that are very, you know, not named Grey Worm or the Unsullied, but there are still folks that are loyal to Daenerys that if they ever saw him and if they ever found him, they would absolutely kill him. Now, would they be successful? Yeah, who knows? But I, I think for him, this is a slight blessing in that. He couldn't live in Winterfell. He couldn't live in King's Landing because he would be looking over his shoulder every five seconds for somebody to try and kill him. But that's the thing. I don't think he'd want to go there. I think he wants to stay in the north and as far north as he could. 
I mean, he... Well, I, agree, I agree with you because, like I said, the only time to me, at least in my opinion, he ever seemed comfortable and at home was partially when he was at the, in the Night's Watch. But then, like I said, he they stabbed him in the back. Why would he trust them again? Well, well that's the thing. I don't think he trusted. I think he was just working his way back north, and yeah. that's all he wanted to do. Yeah. So it's like, okay, are you really being punished? But then again, looking at the council, you had three of his you know so-called family yeah. on there, and you knew they weren't going to let anything happen to him. Right. It was almost set up almost too easy for him to get off. And I understand I mean, that... He, he's, he's also banished to the wall in the Night's Watch, but realistically, okay... You know, the Night King is gone. You know, there are no more threats coming down from the north. We know, you know, everything about the free folk north of the wall is kind of blown up, you know, stuff for kids fairy tales. You know, they're not really all that dangerous. They just want to live and be left alone. He, you know, he's also like, all right, I'm going to go to the I'm going to go there. But realistically, with no threats coming, who's going to check? Well, that's the thing. He and this kind of boils down to my my point is, all right, after you took off Daenerys, what happens now? Oh, you get banished to the place you wanted to go since day one, and that's north with the wildlings. Well, I don't think it was where he wanted to go since day one. Well, I, it, I it, it eventually became the the goal if he got there. Well, that's the thing. Once he got there, he's like, yeah, he didn't want to be there, and he wants to be left as far off the radar as possible. That's my point. So that's what he's wanted to do since day one. Okay, he got it. And in, you see that now the six kingdoms being ruled by Bran. Mm-hmm. Note I didn't say seven. Yep. Because... Sansa did not want to join the party. Yeah, she uh, she elected. So when it came time for all of the houses to vote for the king, you know, who was going to be the king, uh, Sansa looked at him and, and said, you're very nice. You know, listen, I love you. You're my brother. But and she kind of details what everything the North has gone through and they can't bend the knee again. And, you know, they're going to be independent like they were in years past, which makes a lot of sense because you really think about it. Okay. You know, the past being what it is, they bent the knee, you know, half of the, you know, the Stark family got decimated for bending the knee. Where are they? Winterfell's you know, a, a mess. The North is a mess you, you, that needs repair. Why commit to something when, hey, we, you know, it, it's it's the old thing about, you know, crazy. You do it once and you do it again and do it again, expecting different results. Listen, we got to change. Yeah, and it is what it is. I mean, Sansa, you knew that she wasn't going to give up without a fight. No. There's no way. she. I don't want to say she turned into Cersei, but kind of in a sense that she was playing the long game and waiting back. She's Cersei without all the crazy. Right. And she knows that she can run the North, and she was the only one smart about it, too, which, I, like I said, I don't struggle with this. No. I'm not like, okay. She, she already had half of Winterfell rooting for her when Jon was palling around with Daenerys. Right. So it made a lot of sense for her to take over the North, even though I thought, like, okay, maybe they would have, a, like, a one little kind of matchoff between Bran and Sansa for winner take all. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. Minor detail to the grand scheme of things. And as everybody is finally saying their goodbyes, what happens to everybody's favorite family? Uh, they get split to the to the four corners. You have uh, Bran staying in King's Landing, of course, because he's now you know king of king of six realms. Uh, Sansa's going back north to rule Winterfell. Jon's going even further north to live beyond the Wall, and then uh, Arya is going to go play explorer and explore west of Westeros. And this is one thing that is also true in the books that they mentioned in the show: the maps just stop at, at the west coast of Westeros. Nobody knows what's beyond Westeros to the west. Right, and that makes a lot of sense if they want to do a spinoff show, and I'd be perfectly fine with that if they want to go that route. See, I think. Prior to this season airing, that might have been the plan. The like, they it's because these episodes are written and filmed before we see them, so I think that might have been in the back of their heads. But given how the reception was for this, uh, that might be on the back burner for a hot minute. 
Well, I'm going to say this. I know that the writers this year were, were trying to do their best interpretation of what Martin gave them for mm-hmm. an idea. Yeah. But if this is not connected with Martin and maybe their own vision based off of what we had this season, it, it, maybe it goes somewhere. Right. Maybe. I, I'm not saying... And it, and it may have something to do with... I know Martin has mentioned that there's the prequel coming set thousands of years before any of this took place. And he there's always been mention of something else coming. Now, nothing's been said of it. We don't know what it is. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I mean, it could be something. There's just a lot of gray area that they can play around with if they decide to go that route. And I'd be okay with that. Right. I'm, like I said... I didn't like this episode per se, but I'm not saying it's the worst thing I've ever seen. And right. I, you know, I, I want my hour back. Right. I'm just, I was not a fan of it. And I, and definitely seeing how everybody kind of turned out because as we see John, he essentially gets his fairy tale ending. So to speak, mm-hmm. he, he leaves the night's watch and yeah. is run around with the wildlings and Tormund into the far North. And that's where his story ends. I'll say, I want that buddy cop, buddy cop movie, John and Tormund. Oh, I, I take that all day. Uh, Cause I got it. I got it. I, I saw him going, I saw the shot of the wall and, and, the, and you had the front gate. And I'm like, Oh God. Cause I realized who we were going to see. Yeah. Tormund. Which, and you saw Ghost too. He was reunited there. Well, see, I, I got to kind of throw some water onto everyone's excitement with that because I saw a thing on Twitter today. Uh, I'm going with the thought that that was added after the fervor pitch that everyone threw online when John didn't say goodbye. Because as somebody pointed out online, that is reused footage from season four. Well, just add just, and we know they can do this because the Starbucks cup. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and the water bottle that was discovered this week, they can digitally edit these uh, those shots after they were filmed. There's a they changed the lighting, they changed Ghost, obviously, but that is a reused shot from season four. Either way, you know, like I'm okay with that. Like I I don't I was not flipping out about the Ghost situation. I wasn't really flipping out about the water bottle. Like I see, I, out, I, I, I wasn't upset about the Ghost situation. I just found that the response they gave was a little kind of cheap oh he didn't say goodbye because of, of cg it's a cgi character and it's hard to do well uh, yeah i mean at this stage you can't really use that excuse yeah but as we see everybody kind of is going off in their own way sansa's given her crown to be queen of the north they'll say sam's finally uh grand maester yeah, I mean, break down that council there. Yeah, so it was a very interesting council where you had uh, Grandmaster Samuel Tarley was there. That was a very pleasant surprise, and that was nice to see. So, you know, glad to see him. Uh, who else did you have? On you board? had Podrick. And- Podrick was there. Podrick was uh, Kingsguard, and so was uh, Brienne. Brienne was, finally got her, you know, she got her knighthood from, from Jamie, and now she's Kingsguard. Yeah, you had Davos there. Yep, Davos was there. And you had Braun. Who yeah. finally became a lord? Yep, he finally got his wish. Wish, and I and I love that little moment with Tyrion where he where Tyrion read off his all of his new titles and everything. And uh, he goes, "Have you felt? Do you feel the crown has paid you back?" And he goes, "Sufficiently." Yeah, at this stage, he, I mean, he's he's essentially he won. Yeah, he won. He he won the Game of Thrones essentially because you think of where he started, where he was a sword for hire mm-hmm. and just you know highest better whoever. He's now ruling an entire land. Yeah. Because at this point, Tyrion is the one overseeing everybody. Bran just kind of walks mm-hmm. in and says, all right, do your thing. And Well, he, sh- he shows up, and then they're kind of bring up, all right, where's Drogon? Because Drogon flew off to the east, if I'm not mistaken. And and they, and they say, oh, he was last spotted, dead, wherever he, they said he was. And Bran goes, oh, maybe I can find him. And he goes to do his raven thing. Yeah, so he's essentially turning the keys over to Tyrion. Makes sense. And then it just kind of all fades away after that. It's- well, and, and I kind of want to bring up something that I know a lot of people were going, oh, it's too happy of an ending. Is it, though? I mean, you think about it for the episode, eh, maybe, but for the series overall, you think about it, okay, go through the houses. House Lannister, 
Uh, there's one person left. The entire ho- the house got decimated. House Stark, half the family got killed. Uh, house Tyrell, well, they're gone. Uh, house Baratheon was gone until they made... Uh, they, Gendry? Gendry, you know, a, a non-bastard. House Targaryen, eh, essentially gone unless Jon starts popping out kids. Uh, then you go through House Greyjoy, decimated. House Tully, they're, they're not doing so hot. Uh, house Bolton. And then you've got House Aaron, who are rulers of the Vale. Like, half of these houses are either gone or really, really, really hurt. Right, but I think for the major characters, the ones that fans really associate with, they all got kind of a happy ending. I mean, Arya faded off into nothing, mm-hmm. and, and now she's going to become Arya the Explorer. Yeah. You had John go to the north, north, and right. he is reunite with Tormund and he's going to just fade off into oblivion where he wanted to be. Right. Like I said, Sansa wanted to be queen. Now she's queen. Mm-hmm. Tyrion is essentially in a position of power that he is all his own, even right. though he might not say he wants it, but he was embracing the role as it was coming. So you can't really say it wasn't a happy ending for the major characters involved. Right. And I know you were asking earlier uh, about Grey Worm and where he was going. Uh, the Unsullied were going. Uh, them. No, they mentioned the Isle of Noth, which was where Missandei grew up. And she brings it up a couple of times. Uh, if you do some looking online, and I know they mentioned this in the books, it's a it's a setting perfectly set for the Unsullied because uh, the folk who live there don't believe in war or fighting. Well, and that's gonna, it's easy pickings. It's going to be an interesting place where to see where they want to go. Because if they ever wanted to go back down this road, I wanted to see Grey Worm versus John. That's where I'm kind of sticking with. Because I just can't comprehend and, and be cool with they let him slide. Especially there was a moment when John was getting on the boat to leave and sail north. Right. Where Grey Worm was eyeing him. And I'm like, okay, maybe he finally gets the shot because he was so loyal to Daenerys and her camp that just to let him go. And I know I might be just kind of focusing on this, but it's for me, it just kind of seemed like it was too happy of an ending for our, our major characters. See, I think with the Grey Worm, John potential fight, I think that would have happened if Grey Worm were an idiot. He's not an idiot. He knows how much everyone there respects him and likes him. He's a dead duck if he tries to kill John, and even if he succeeds. But at this stage, what's he got to lose? Uh, I mean, honestly, what has he got to lose? That's where I said I think it would have added a little more drama to the episode. Because like I said, after Daenerys got killed, for me, it just kind of fell flat. And it was like, it seemed like certain characters were not acting as they have been portrayed previous episodes. That's kind of my argument with it. That it was a good episode. It wasn't great. It wasn't up to the bar that has been established for Game of Thrones, in my opinion. I thought it was okay at best. I mean, like I said, I really wasn't a fan of it. And it just it didn't do anything for me to say... All right, now the tale is done and let it go. It just, it just kind of was like, all right, after that big moment, everybody's okay. See, for me, it kind of did put me in that place where, like, I'm, you know, I'm okay with the ending. They leave it open. They do that kind of open-ended ending where, oh, you might see something. And I know a lot of people said they felt like it was the end of a season with more coming. Yeah, it it did, but at the same time, like, I'm okay not knowing more. I'm okay not seeing those characters. At, like, if they don't, like, they obviously leave it open for an Arya spinoff. If they don't do that, I'm okay with it. Like, okay, she's going off to explore the Western whatever's to the West. I'm okay with everything, how they left it. And, like, you know, if they do more, cool. If they don't, eh, okay. Right. I mean, that's kind of my my degree, too. But I'm just kind of at this stage is, like, it was such a deflating episode for me. Like I said, I didn't experience the big payoff. And, yeah, you killed off Daenerys. All right, that was a huge moment. No question right. about it. 
But after that, it was kind of like you just kind of, you know, trotted to the finish line, in my opinion. that I just, it didn't do anything for me. I was like, all right, this is just too simple. Like, it would have been something if, like I said, some of the other houses who were loyal to Daenerys stepped up and did something and, and maybe just not ended so peacefully about it. I, I, mean, th- I think if they weren't also tired of fighting, because even that even gets brought up at the council meeting. They're like, they're ready to fight and kill each other. But they're all just like, oh, my God, we're tired of this. We've been doing this for who knows how many years. Right. But and like I said, I think it's just it goes back to maybe one of the biggest arguments I have for this season is the pacing. Yeah, I'll it, give you that. It just kind of really it, it showed here. I mean, it just I, I don't know. Like I just after that moment, I just kind of thought, OK, maybe there'd be enough time. Maybe there'd be a little more dramatic ending to it. But it just kind of seemed just to tie everything with a nice bow and send it on its way. And like I what I was kind of fearing is now Martin's seen this. He's seen the reaction online. Is he going to flip the ending for the books? Yeah, I don't know. That's what I I, I am kind of thinking that's going to happen. Like I said, I just want him to finish the books or come out with the next one. Because like I said, the last one came out in 2011. He says he's had writer's block, you know, and, and had issues writing. Every great writer has had issues with writing. J.R. Tolkien had it with writing Lord of the Rings. J.K. Rowling had it when writing Harry Potter. Every great author has writer block. I just want him to get through it and finish this. Please. I've never read the books. I've been honest about that. But I know for the fans of the books, I'm fully saying you're going to get a different ending than you did for the show. Oh, yeah, because at the point that the books are in is John's dead and hasn't come back to life. Like they're they're at the point like where John dies. Right. So, yeah, it's a little far behind. Yeah, you're going to get a completely different ending to that. And whether that's the one you want or you didn't, you have to give respect to the show and for what it established. I mean, it literally set the bar for trying to do a sci-fi, not, not so much sci-fi, more fantasy. Yes, rather. That's fantasy, what I'm trying to go with. Fantasy. I'm sorry. You're going with more of a fantasy take of a show involving medieval themes with dragons and magic and really encompassed what the vision of the book was supposed to be. And the, the episodes, like I say, are as close to realistic to that world as mm-hmm. they can make it. The production value is great. The cast has done, has done a phenomenal job. And like I said, Peter Dinklage is probably going to get another Emmy out of this. I, I deservedly show. Yeah, without question. He has that all but locked up, and I can't see them not giving him the Emmy for this. He's going to have some tough competition when it comes to award season. Probably. But to go out on this note, like I said, for me, I didn't really say, okay, that was my closure. Like, that was as great as Breaking Bad. Like I said, that's my benchmark. They did a good job in wrapping up a short season, albeit though the pacing is something that sticks out and really, I guess, didn't build up the momentous action that was happening or those dramatic moments to really hit the home run. You hit the ball, sure. But did it go out the park for some people? No, it didn't. But overall, it was what it was. It's very polarizing if you talk to fans. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about this season finale, or series finale, rather, of Game of Thrones? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Rob Kacharek from the band 607, Autopilot Off, and Walking Distance, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. episode two of The Return. And dare I say, a lot more questions were raised than yep. answered again. Yep. Not a bad thing, no. not a good thing, just kind of is what it is. We are talking spoilers, so in three, two, one. Pat, what did you think of the episode? I just want to know, is that Coulson or not? 
come on like you're gonna i realize this is probably gonna be a tease for like if not this whole season then in into part of next season but i want to know if it's him or not this is now becoming a question of who is the real phil colson mm-hmm. is it the one we've known since day one i'll say to quote uh partially quote eminem will the real phil colson please stand up yeah because at this stage there is so many questions revolving around who is the real colson and uh-huh. and what is going on here because as we open up as he's known currently, Sarge mm-hmm. and his team are holding up a quickie mart and yeah. just being mischievous. Yeah, I can use that word. they're holding up a quickie mart, but I think they're also do- also doing some recon because this clearly is not the first world that they've pillaged, plundered, and are planning to destroy. And you even see that when they go to rob the the uh, cashier at the this convenience store, this quickie mart, and they go, oh, and and you know, Sarge says, oh, what kind of currency do they use? And one of his goons goes, oh, paper with faces on them. Yeah, this is just one of those weird moments where they're just running around town and doing whatever they want. Yeah, I th- I, I, and I also, like I said, I also think they're assessing, like, all right, how much resistance are we going to get? You know, how developed are they? Exactly. And they do mention that they're looking for pegs, mm-hmm. too, which it turns out they're looking for gems. Yep. And it's kind of interesting how they're interpreting the world that they're now in, the 616 universe yep. in Marvel. And as we see, Dr. Benson is also looking for clues, and it really wants to start digging into the past of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a, some skeletons there. Exactly. And at this stage, he really wants to talk to who's responsible for the life model decoys, and that is one Leopold Fitz. Which, slight problem, he's out in the middle of space somewhere. Right, because at this point, he's out in space doing whatever he's doing out there. Like deep cover spy mission type stuff. And the one Failing ta- miserably. And the one takeaway at this is, what the heck is up with his eyes? Well, I I think that was a that was a something he either his butler robot person gave to him to kind of Enoch Enoch gave to help him kind of blend in with the folks uh, he was hanging out there with, but obviously that failed miserably. Yeah, because at this point, I believe Vero is the character's name, the yeah. head, the head of the ship they're on. Yeah. Uh, is trying to say, okay, what are you up to? And you well, and, and even before that, there's that scene where like they're standing in like a loading bay or something, and like there's a window with water, and this tentacle-looking suction cup hand thing comes on the on the window, and Fitz freaks the heck out, and the and the woman standing there with him kind of looks at him like, where'd you say you were from again? And he goes, oh, north, north, very, 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 very north. And Enoch later goes. Listen, after they figure out he's not who he says he is, that he's a human, uh, you know, Enoch goes, hey, listen, you blew your cover when you freaked out on that monster. That's a delicacy in their world. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see how they're relating to where the situation they're in. And at this point, too, Fitz is bartering his way to stay on the ship because at this point, Vero wants to kick him off. And they do drop a name. And this is very quick, but I did mention this on the ODPH Twitter. They did drop the word Xandarian. Mm hmm. Do you know what that reference is to? Uh, I've heard it, but it's not ringing any bells. The planet of Xandar with the Nova Corps. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, I and they did mention it, obviously, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Well, and they might be planning a Nova movie at some point here. There's a lot of rumblings about if we're going to see Richard Rider suit up, so stay tuned for that. When we hear something, we'll definitely let you know. But I thought it was very interesting that they decided to name drop that. And at this point, when Fitz is trying to barter his way on, he is making some deals to keep everybody on the ship because Vero is going to kill everybody off. Uh-huh. And he does pull kind of an okey-doke, so to speak, with Enoch, yeah. where they he basically sets himself off to be sacrificed to keep everybody on the ship, but he's getting set to be killed with him, and Enoch opens the door to shoot everybody out into space, which was kind of an interesting play, I thought. I was say, a little cold-hearted. 
a little cold-hearted, but I think as we one thing we're seeing with Fitz is he can switch that level if he needs to. Mm-hmm. I mean, just take a look at season four for your prime reason for that. Yeah, that's true. But as we go back to Earth, because one one of the things is with the season thus far is they do a lot of jumping around. A little bit. Which can be confusing if you're trying to jump into the episodes a little bit. No pun intended. Right. It, it can be a little confusing, but at the same token, I feel like they're giving enough time with the separate storylines where they're not doing rapid jumps. Like, you're having, like, entire periods between commercial breaks with one or two storylines. Like, they might have an entire set, you know, whatever they call it. And I don't know the term in television, but, like, in between commercial breaks. You know, that that time where you're seeing the show, you might have a, an entire thing focus on Earth and then or you might have it split between Earth and then Gemma. Like they're not doing rapid jump cuts that will really get you lost. Yeah. which, Like I said, it's just if you're trying to jump in and figure out what's going on because they don't throw up like a little, you know, tagline yeah. saying, you know, in space or where they are. Right. Not saying they need to do it every scene, but it would kind of help a right. little bit because there's just a lot of jumping going on. And at this point, too, they kind of fall back to Earth where Sarge and Pax are looking through a junkyard for the pegs again, too. And you hear May is trying to advise Mac about, you know, talking about Fox's death mm-hmm. to, you know, Agent Keller. But he's like, somebody else will do that. And he's meaning Yo-Yo. So he knows about what's going on there. And then Benson is asking more questions than I think Mac and company were ready for. Yeah, he's asking some questions that they're not comfortable comfortable answering. And they're, you know, he's asking questions. And he even says that he took this job under the understanding that there would be full transparency about what was going on and what happened. And, well, they're not being transparent. Right, because at this stage, they're doing the uh, searching about what is going on with Sarge and who is he and... According to Benson's calculations, his DNA is revealed to be 100% Philip J. Colson. Because mm-hmm, they do that thing you see in television where Colson's DNA is on the screen, Sarge's DNA is on the screen. Perfect match. Yeah, so now the question is, okay, who is the real Phil Colson? Mm-hmm. Is it the one that started the whole Avengers saga? Right. Or is it this guy and, and the past is a mystery? We still don't know. We're not going to know for a while. No. We can only make speculations because one thing S.H.I.E.L.D. does very well is slow burn. Slow burn for the drama. You'll get the payoff eventually. Yep. But you're not going to get it right away. No. And as we go to where Sarge is with now with his company there, they're violently robbing a jewelry store. Mm-hmm. And May and Yo-Yo are, trying, are hot on their heels trying to investigate. And you see them use a teleportation device, Sarge and the company. Well, yeah, well, they, they, but they rob it and violently, but not without trying first to be kind of subtle about it. Because I think at this point they know that S.H.I.E.L.D. is on to them. And because Yo-Yo at one point in the episode references how they keep chasing them and then they show up only with Sarge and crew you know, with their second foot out the door and up, oh, hey, you almost caught him. Aw, shucks. So I th- they're being kind of subtle about it. Like, OK, we know this force is chasing us. Let's try and get this without breaking the door down. And they're trying to be subtle about it. And then it doesn't work. And they're like, all right, screw it. Let's go to the way we know that works. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense, too, because one thing we're seeing, if this is the real Colson, he's calculating a plan. And he knows mm-hmm. he has a lot of eyes now on it's him. Like Colson's got plans on plans on plans. Exactly. So at this point, he's trying to get more pegs or to make explosive gems out of. Yep. That we finally find out that's what he's looking for. And as they're going through, May is finally tracking them down. Like some something clicks with her that she goes, noticing how his patterns are. Yeah. And she goes to the junkyard where she uncovers the mystery 18-wheeler mm-hmm. and basically finds their base of operations. And decides to go full May at this point. <laughs> Which is not good for them. Right, because at this stage, 
they're at where the jewelry store is, and May just decides to go May, which nobody's going to stop May. Right. There's, that wasn't even a question. So at this point, she goes, and she's basically fighting Team Sarge, or whatever they're being called at this point. And, and you bring up May. I like the one uh, interaction I think it was Mac had with Benson, where Mac asks Benson, and this is nah, three quarters of the way through the episode, I think, where Mac goes to Dr. Benson, you ever had something happen and just seeing something brought up a really bad memory that you really don't want to think about? And he goes, yeah. He goes, Mac goes, her bad memory is walking around killing people. Yeah. And just to put the mind frame of what May is up to, I mean, they put it right in front of you. No, there's yeah. no gray area about that. That is right in your face of like yeah. May's motivation. Because at this point, she is just livid and is swinging at everybody. Great action sequences, too, by yeah. the way, in this. Oh, God, yeah. And as they're kind of going back and forth, Sarge finds May in his base. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of do like a little cat and mouse through the portal. Yep. And eventually, it turns that May is sent back through the portal, and Team Sarge escapes. Yep. But at this point, it's just kind of a sense that the team knows something's up with Coulson. Mm-hmm. That Team Sarge does because Jaco actually senses like Sarge was shook when May kept saying yeah, Coulson. Yeah, and he and Mac tried and he and Col- and Sarge was trying to play it off like, nah, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, something's up with the name. Yeah, but he's like, I don't know, but I got to find out. Like, he's really trying to play it off, but maybe there's a connection that I don't know. Maybe this is Coulson. It, I'll be very interested to see this because we can't forget the first episode. May confirmed he was dead. Now may be very coy and she may not tell you the truth all the time. When it comes to Coulson, she ain't BS and she ain't blowing sunshine up your up your you know what, you know. She, I don't think she's lying about this. Like he, he, you know, to her, he is dead. But there must be some in between time of like when she left him after he died, and whatever's going on. I, I just want to know. I think it's going to come down to if there's scrolls involved or not. I sense that. See, coming. here's my question because I thought about this. Does the scroll process perfectly copy their DNA if you test it? See, it's it's kind of an area where. They have discussed that they can they can do it once they shift back to their form. Okay. But see, I think at, at the time, if they've shape-shifted into somebody, they can't. I was like, because this is something I know that they didn't cover in the Captain Marvel movies. Okay, yeah, when the person like takes on their their thing, they have limited memories, and they look like them, talk like them, sound like them. But then I'm kind of wondering, okay, well, what about the DNA? See, it's kind of a weird area that I don't think they've ever covered. Right. Because like I know that I you're not going to get this reference. If you've ever read the original Skrull Kill Crew comic where the first Skrull invasion, they were turned into cows, and then eventually they were turned into hamburger meat, <laughs> and the people that ate them can now see who Skrulls are, but they are dying. It's, a, it's an old Marvel Comics limited series right. from the late 90s. So with that being said, how did you know the DNA wasn't there and, and like what happened? Like it's, it's kind of been like a gray area. They've never really touched upon. Also might've been something they just never thought about. Right. Like I said, it's just something that I don't think has ever come up in conversation because I think of all the times when they're doing secret invasion, once a scroll has been killed, they turn back into said right. scroll. So I don't know what happens when they're in said form. Like I said, a lot of different areas with it. And like I said, the only thing it just rings, rings a bell with that is like the scroll kill crew which I believe is an old Grant Morrison book, too, if I'm not mistaken. It's a great read if you got the time to read the original one. But nevertheless, we come to the end of the episode where you know everybody's kind of reeling what they're doing, mm-hmm. and Max sees a video of, of a previous episode with Sarge and company, and it's just total destruction. Yeah. 
And they end back in space where Simmons, Team Simmons now at this point, because there's all these teams running around, shows up to where Fitz and company is, and but Fitz, they just miss each other. Yeah. But we sense that by the previews for next week's episode, they all find each other and then wacky hijinks ensue. Yeah, which, I mean, oh, shucks, they almost missed each other, but this isn't the first time that's happened. No, it's not. But overall, Pat, final thoughts on the episode. Great episode. Wish I would have gotten some more answers, but hey, it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's the second episode. I know I'm not going to get many answers. Right. I mean, this one starts to slowly peel back the mystery of who is Phil Coulson. Which I liked, and I liked the sense they kind of kept it more Earth-based to figure out what's going on there, per se, because, like I said, they're just doing so many time jumps that this episode we never saw a Team Simmons until the very end. Right. So you got a lot of characters got to juggle around to make sure everybody gets enough screen time to really tell that story. S.H.I.E.L.D. will do a great job with it. They always do. So can't wait to see what happens next week. But let us know what you thought. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH, join in the conversation on our social media pages. What did you think of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's a heartbreak, soul shape, radio attack. Take it all steps forward, no steps back. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man Seatoy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up and coming newest podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Now, Pad, we are talking finales. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about Game of Thrones at the beginning mm-hmm. of the show. Now I want to talk about a show I've been watching, and they're having their season finale this week on the DC Universe app. Okay. Or a ser- streaming service. I shouldn't say app, but that's how I watch it through. Doom Patrol. Okay. Now, we've talked at the beginning when it was Valentine's Day, and we said, okay, who was going to win out of the battle of Umbrella Academy versus Doom Patrol. Honestly, this is tied. I know we never went over the Umbrella Academy on the show, but Umbrella Academy was amazing on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. But Doom Patrol has been the early surprise of 2019 for how good it's been. Now, we've talked a little bit about the characters. I mean, obviously, they have had a very interesting history in the DCU, shall we say? Sure. But going into this... When the show kicked off, it has fully embraced the essence of the weirdness, shall I say, that is Doom Patrol. I mean, it has a lengthy history being written by Grant Morrison, and you know anything he touches always has a really unique concept to it. Oh, yeah. So they do a lot of fourth wall breaking in this to a degree, and just to see how the characters of Robot Man, who's played phenomenally, phenomenally by Brendan Fraser, that Brendan Fraser, Pat, mm-hmm. who has been in what? The Mummy, to na- The Mummy, George of the Jungle, just to name a few. Who is just absolutely stealing the show with his comedic timing and obviously is just, is, it's cool to see just how, how stacked this cast is. I mean, Diane Guerrero plays Crazy Jane and she is phenomenal on that too, juggling around 64 different characters. On the show, so wow. yeah, and you and every one is done differently and done with such distinction too. I mean, April Balbly, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, plays Elastigirl, and she has done a phenomenal job too. Alan Tudyk is playing Mister Nobody, mm, okay, who completely is hamming up the supervillain aspect and is 
Mr. Nobody, and he's been the main villain since the start of the season. And Timothy Dalton plays the chief, who is in the Professor Xavier role. And just to see where they've gone and just the journeys of characters, and especially the one that stands out to Matt Bomber playing Negative Man has been lights out one of the best performances you've seen on TV, bar none. And just to see where they've gone in the DC universe, which is crazy to see where they've gone, especially they've added Cyborg to the team. Okay. Now, this is where you, where do you normally associate Cyborg with? Uh, Justice League. Right. And Teen Titans, and he's never really been in a team like the Doom Patrol, which is known to be on the fringe and, and just really best told outside the realm of the DC extended universe. Like they, they have their own niche in the, in the world, but to see the crossover happen as it's happened has been something to really see. And they've delved into a lot of the doom patrol history. And you can definitely see the Grant Morrison and, and Gerard way influence on the show. It's just, okay. it's definitely an acquired taste, but it's so worth watching. And it's so good because they ham it up at times, but they get serious with the material and each character. I mean, is so damaged in their own right. But the fact they finally get together, and even uh, Mr. Nobody breaks it down this past episode, because now as we're going into Friday, we have the season finale. Now, I have not heard anything about a renewal yet. This needs to happen, and I will tell you why. For DC to have taken a shot doing a Doom Patrol comic, Pat, let me ask you this. Name me five DC superheroes. Uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and The Flash. Okay. Was Doom Patrol anywhere on your roster? Nope. And had you known about Doom Patrol until I pointed it out? Nope. Let's be honest. Okay. For them to take a shot with it and get such an ensemble cast to be a part of this show, and the quality of the show is definitely up there. Like The DC Universe has done such a great job bringing this show to life and embracing all the weird quirkiness of the superhero team. Because like I say, they're just a, a different version of the X-Men, just more out there, which I don't know how that translates, but it works so well. Like I said, they had the best season, best episode on Titan season one, their first time doing it. It's the origin episode. But going into the season finale, DC is doing something very cool. Pad, you want to touch upon that? Uh, yeah, they actually to, to kind of entice people to check it out, or maybe because it's been making some rumbling and some waves on the internet. You know, people are going, "Oh, what the heck is this Doom Patrol thing?" They put the entire first episode, their pilot episode, up to watch for free on the DC uh, YouTube channel. Right, and how cool is that? I think that the fact that DC is getting behind this to put it out there and saying, "Hey, we're going to the season finale," and you can definitely hammer through the season. It's about fifteen episodes. But it's it's so easy to just get sucked in and, and watch. Granted, if you binge watch it, I do recommend you space it out because it's a lot of weirdness to intake, and it definitely will throw you off your game a little bit. But if you space it out and you just you can hammer through it, going into Friday, I honestly have no idea what to expect. I mean, they've kind of teetered with mentioning that they are part of the DC universe. There has been a Batman reference here and there. Uh, and the Justice League too, obviously involving Cyborg and seeing him being the fish out of water, so to speak, because he's such a traditional superhero. Yeah. And then you're stuck with these, you know, misfits that definitely should not be a superhero team, but they make it work. And they're going into the season finale with one of the biggest reveals in the comics. Now, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. This is how much I'm really into this show because the acting has been top notch. The storytelling, 
I have an idea what they're doing because I've read this on the DC Universe because you actually read the comics on there too, which is a cool thing too. This is one of the more interesting ways they're going to end the season. I have an idea what's going to happen. I'll be more than happy to answer people on the ODPH Twitter about this at OD Parlay Hour. But I just sense that this is going to be one of the best first seasons of a comic TV show since The Flash. I'm going to put okay. it out there. I know you're a big CW guy. Oh, yeah. I know that you're into The Flash and Arrow. We do watch. Yes. We do We do comment about this. What do you feel about when you hear these shows like Titans and, D- and Doom Patrol and now we got Swamp Thing coming down? Mm-hmm. What is that kind of sense for you as a comic book fan? Like you see the CW, what's your expectations when you hear about shows like this? I mean, I have obviously when you compare stuff from like the CW and, and in just DC television in general, I have a very high expectation. Sure, not all of it's going to be home run grand slams out of the park, but there is that expectation where, okay, it's all going to be connected. It's all going to be interwoven. It might not make sense at the time, but down the road, there's going to be a payoff. There's going to be like a connection. Oh, hey, remember this? There's that little Easter egg. There's that little crumb for you to follow there. You know, so, you know, just not a lot of filler episodes or one-offs or, hey, this was just an episode to fill some time. Yeah, this is something that I I just, I completely applaud DC for taking the shot with and doing. Because, like I say, you don't hear about the Doom Patrol as a first-name basis. Right. And just to see the casting they did for it. I mean, this just shows of how much faith DC has in this product. And I think that's so cool to see. Because, like I say, you would kind of expect this maybe a cast like this with, like, a Justice League-type idea. Right. To a degree, or one of the bigger-name properties. But, like I said, you have Balby. Guerrero is absolutely lights on the show. Tudic. Bomber. Bomber has been amazing on it. Brendan Fraser, Timothy Dalton. The list goes on and on. I can't do enough justice for everybody. This, and, and Jovian Wade, to his cyborg, everybody has really stepped up to their game on this. And this just doesn't feel like... We're trying to be like the Justice League, and you know they have to be dark and brooding, like we've seen with the DCU. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be so completely lighthearted as the Flash universe or the Arrowverse, shall we say? Yeah, this has just been such a nice curveball to throw. I'm really recommending this for everybody to go check out. If you go to the DC YouTube page, DC Comics YouTube page, you can watch the first episode for free. If you get hooked, get the DC Universe streaming service and binge watch through it. The season finale is this Friday. Hashtag Renew Doom Patrol needs to happen. Hit us up on the social media, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation. If you're into Doom Patrol, I want to talk about it. If you're not, maybe I sold you about it. Let me know what you think of if you've seen the first episode. If you're all set going into the season finale, I want to know your reaction to it. Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out Robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pat, kick us off those one-shots. Well, got a couple of things. Of course, got to give a little bit of an update on the Avengers Endgame box office uh, situation because there was a little development over the weekend. Now, it hasn't beaten Avatar for the all-time worldwide record, but it is close. Uh, As we record, of course, Avatar is number one all-time with a $2.788 billion. Uh, Avengers Endgame, again, this is as we we record, is it is uh, sitting at $2.616 
billion dollars so it's almost there however the uh, interesting development over the weekend is it did pass avatar for number two all time domestically uh grossing seven over 771 million dollars to avatars over 760 million dollars now i firmly believe that it will pass avatar by the time it's all said and done and it has its theatrical run i don't see it getting the number one all-time domestic box office record because if you don't know that is currently held by star wars the force awakens which grossed over 936 million dollars domestically so how much are we looking at a difference of uh about 150 plus million dollars yeah it's gonna be close i yeah. think by the time avengers is all said and done out of the box office it'll be close yeah, it'll it'll be close uh, other one uh, as we were recording hbo did uh release the viewer numbers for the series finale of uh, game of thrones it received a record-breaking 19.3 million viewers now the thing i should note this is 19.3 million households watch this. It when they go to do the viewer numbers, it's viewer ratings. It just counts like how many TVs are tuned into it. That does not factor in for more than one person watching. So you probably double or triple that number. You might have the actual roundabout number of what that's at. Oh yeah, there's so many people that were yeah. watching that show that oh yeah that night. You can't really put a, a yeah. firm number. On it's that. it's a large number. Uh, final one I got to talk about is I did uh, see the biopic Tolkien. Over the weekend, of course, it's the biopic from Fox Searchlight Studios uh, about the life story of J.R.R. Tolkien, of course, who wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and created the whole Middle Earth universe. Uh, won't go into too many spoilers about it just because it's something that if you are a Lord of the Rings fan, you need to go see. Don't go into it expecting like a life telling of how he wrote lord of the rings because that's not what it's about yes you do get hints of where some of his inspirations came for places and people and, and things in the lord of the rings books but it doesn't go through a blow-by-blow blow telling of how he wrote those books if you are a fan of those books you know and, and you even if you just want to learn more about the man who created the books that turned into the blockbuster trilogy I highly recommend you go see it. It's a fun watch. It's it's a lot. It's really good, and I can't recommend it enough. I know you're a big Tolkien guy, so if yeah. you get the stamp of approval, you know it's got to be good. So going into my one shots, we're talking finales a lot. We talked about Game of Thrones series finale. We talked about Doom Patrol's season finale. Mm -hmm. Better be season finale if it's series finale. I'm gonna have some words on Twitter. But there was another finale that happened that was kind of a big deal that yeah. we we kind of skimmed over because. Yeah. I'll be honest, this crept up on me and I completely missed it and I have to rewatch or I have to actually watch the episode. I have to, you know, kind of rewatch a few other things before I get to it. And that's the Big Bang Theory finally mm -hmm. ended its long run. According to the Variety, 18 million viewers tuned in, which is almost double their normal numbers, because I remember seeing a couple of news stories about the, you know, like the days leading up to it. I think if I remember the news stories right, they average about 10 million. They averaged about 10 million viewers an episode. Like normally, so that's almost double their normal viewer ratings. And you know what? It makes sense because for what Big Bang Theory did, and I know we we talked about when we first heard it was going to cancel. We made a very long segment about it, but just to see the impact it's had on pop culture, representing nerd geek culture, I guess is the best way to describe it. You really sense that when that show came out and started doing as well as it did, it really showed pop culture that geek culture is a very big deal. It, it, yeah, to me, like kind of looking back on it, it, you can kind of look back at when the show came out and kind of when it rose to prominence. There was kind of this shift in culture where 
I remember growing up, it was kind of weird if you read comic books. It was kind of weird if you played video games. It was kind of weird if you liked Star Wars or Star Trek. You were kind of weird. You were kind of the weirdo in school, mm-hmm. you know. But then kind of when, you know, uh, Big Bang Theory kind of started gaining popularity and really rising to the juggernaut it became was kind of that shift where, hey, it's 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 not so weird to like that. Like, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it kind of really opened some doors because... Like I said, growing up, it's never really been as popular as it was. Yeah. You know, and no, it was never like a really, I don't want to say like cool thing to do. Right. But it's always been cool to us. Yeah. Since day one. So everybody else just finally caught on board. So you're welcome. But just to see the show go out on the way it did and obviously on a high note and I thought it was the right time for it to go to. Go out on top and when you're not running it into the ground. Yeah. Because I know that. It could have gone for maybe a couple more seasons, but I don't. For me, it, it kind of felt like it, it was time. Yeah. It really was. So I'm definitely going to do a blog when I catch up to the episode and kind of give a little more thought and detail on it. But, you know, it's going to be a different to see that it's not on TV anymore, but they'll offer some more opportunity to catch up on some shows. Yeah, well, for the opportunity. And, of course, they do have the spinoff going Young Sheldon. Right. But I was thinking more I get more people to watch Cloak and Dagger on Thursday nights. That's true. Freeform, you know I love this show. They only got a couple more episodes left for the season, and it has been lights out amazing. I can't get into it enough. I, In fact, I think I might give myself a challenge about doing another blog about the show because the performances on that show, and dare I say, we talk about how good Doom Patrol's been. Cloak and Dagger might be flying under your radar, folks, of just the subject matter it's doing and handling very, very tastefully and very well and translating some lesser-known characters in the MCU to the small screen and doing it in such a unique and cool way, tying in a lot of visual effects with it. We're not talking, like, Legion visual effects. Right. Because Legion is Legion. That's award-winning. Yeah, you can't... If, if they haven't won an award for that show, they really need to. They should just have the award named after them. Like, that's yeah. how good, yeah. visually amazing Legion yeah. is. Yeah. But Cloak & Dagger has been doing some stuff incorporating music and visuals with it. And just to see, like this week, they even tied in a little 8-bit arcade action. Oh, okay. Which I don't, like I said, I'm just going to give you a little tease because you should be watching the show. Hashtag renew Cloak and Dagger needs to be happening. I know it hasn't been officially done yet, but it's got to. The show has definitely raised the stakes. The acting and writing has been spot on. The soundtrack's incredible. I can keep going on and on about it, but you should definitely check it out for yourself. Maybe I'll post a blog when I do that. Maybe I'll just do a TV roundup. I haven't done one of those in a while. So check out OchoDuroParleyHour.com for more information on that. Check out our parlay points. It'll be under there. Freeform, Thursday nights, can't say enough, Cloak and Dagger. But to close out the show... Pat and I did catch up on a trailer mm-hmm. that we heard about at New York Comic Con last yep. year. Yep. And definitely piqued our interest. Mm-hmm. Pat? Uh, we've got a trailer for the upcoming next uh, DC animated uh, movie, Hush. Yes. The great Batman saga, drawn in comics by the man, the myth, the legend himself, Jim Lee. All right. Wait. I just got one question for you. Is, is Catwoman going to be in it? Yes, Catwoman will be in it. <laughs> it's an inside joke amongst the panel. Before. I feel like we can tell the story. All right, Pat. Then. So we were at the, what panel was it for New York Comic Con last year? Uh, I believe it was uh, Reign of the Superman. Yeah, that was it. So we were at a panel for Reign of the Superman, which was the, if I'm not mistaken, the last DC animated movie to come out. And they were kind of talking about upcoming movies they were working on. And and Batman Hush was one that was announced. And that draft definitely got a rise out of the room. Like, oh, they're going to do Hush. And so they went to do a Q&A, which if you've never been to a panel at a comic book convention, 
usually they do, but not always. But they they had enough time. They went and did a Q and A panel, a Q and A for this panel towards the end of it, and, so, and a, a fan got up there and asked if Catwoman was going to be in Hush. Right, but they asked like the the thing about it is if you've read the source material, you know that Catwoman's going to be in and. Obviously, it kind of drew kind of a, a mixed reaction from the crowd because because yeah. I mean, if you know about Hush and the in the story, and like I said, it, it's been beautifully illustrated by Jim Lee, mm-hmm. and it's essentially it's almost like a prelude into what Tom King's doing now with Batman and Catwoman. It's uh, it's kind of got some weird connection a little bit, but it's a different story. It's an amazing book to to look at. I mean, like I said, Jim Lee's artwork is astonishing. And like I said, when that question came about, I think everybody kind of had a, a very odd action reaction to it. And it's just because if you've read the source material, you know Catwoman is mm-hmm. about as important to the story as Batman. So obviously, they kind of drew it's it kind of drew a little chuckle from us because yeah. we were all big Batman fans. But Catwoman's going to be in it. Yep, every single DC batman related character is going to be in it for that time period there's a superman cameo like i'm not even gonna tell you why uh yeah i'll just say jerry o'connell is uh voicing superman you'll have jason omara returning to play batman it's looking real good oh it looks phenomenal so definitely pick up the trade paperback or the issues at your local comic book shop and definitely be locked and loaded digitally it's released july 20th and it'll be on the dc universe streaming service and blu-ray on august 13th so keep an eye out for that. That's all we got for this week. So for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Kenem. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. See you next time. Yeah.